what's up welcome to mix in america uh this is episode 19 i have some good guests with me today actually a couple people i've been trying to get for a long time but you know they were skipping out on me getting out of the country doing vacation plus they're just busy they had a lot going on uh, but i appreciate ryan and angela watkins for coming here thank you guys for uh finding some time in your busy schedule to talk to me mm-hmm. join me on this podcast angela is the executive pastor mm-hmm. at living word st paul mm-hmm. how do you get that right because it's important that we give her all of <laughs> oh, the yeah. props that she oh, deserves man. as Absolutely. the executive pastor thank you because i promise you she's the reason that campus is still open. oh my goodness she makes that place run thank you and then ryan is he just got promoted just got a new position mm-hmm. so i gotta make sure i get this right too he's the director yep. of family support yep. for living word and you also have the Spanish church underneath you as well. So yes. apparently family support wasn't enough responsibility <laughs> for you. They're like, hey, let's just throw this whole other church up. They got like 200 people there, right? Uh-huh. So let's just throw uh-huh. that under Ryan yeah. as well. So yeah. Shout out to Pastor Hugo. He's the man. He's legend. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Legend. Um, so first of all, mm-hmm. I'll let you guys introduce yourself. Uh, we talked about this before. I always talk about this. I like to start my podcast with allowing my guests to share their story. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, our story is one of the most powerful things we have. Mm-hmm. You can't argue with somebody's story. You can argue facts and data and whatever. You can't argue with someone's experience. For and sure. our experience shapes us. Both of you, whoever wants to go first, mm-hmm. um, just kind of share your story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Who's, who's going first? You want to go? You go first. <laughs> you want me to? Yeah. Okay. For the record, ladies and gentlemen, I offered. I can see <laughs> that lady. That's he important. Did. She asked me he to did. go first. Okay. Yes. Um, I... I don't think of where to begin. Um, I grew up in Minneapolis. Uh, two incredible parents. Um, I love them dearly. They're both in ministry, so it's kind of like the, uh, the family, family business, business for sure. But um, grew up in Minneapolis. I uh, started out on the south side of Minneapolis. Uh, my parents still own the house that I grew up in today. And um, I was there till I was probably about maybe 13. And then moved to north Minneapolis. And if you're familiar with either parts of town, they definitely are very different. Um, and I love them both for what they are, but I remember going into the north side, it was definitely um, a culture shock for me. Um, I think when I grew up on the south side, a lot of my friends were um, Hispanic, uh, Somali, white. There was definitely, uh, the grade school I went to was like me and all my friends were all basically black the entire class. Um, but the neighborhood I grew up in, so I saw just really surrounded by a lot of different culture. Um, but when I moved to North Minneapolis, that area, the specific part that I was in was predominantly black um, and a huge, randomly an Asian kind of Hmong population that literally there was like two blocks and I don't know how they did it, but they bought every house in two blocks. Mm-hmm. And they would always play like whatever, soccer and stuff um, on the weekends at the park by where I grew up. But I uh, grew up in Minneapolis, loved it. Um, definitely was like home for me. Um, a couple of, I think, like interesting notes that I feel like shaped a little bit of the perspective for how I was brought up. Um, when I was four years old, my older brother, he was 21 at the time, he was shot and killed. His name was Michael. Obviously, I was so young, I have very little memories, but I think it started off this um, kind of perspective in my parents' eyes where they were so concerned about like me making the wrong decisions or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was at a party. It was like Halloween night when it happened. And just argument breaks out, fight breaks out, um, and someone ended up like shooting him. And I know my parents were always just so strict because of that. So I grew up even in uh, South Minneapolis going to like this private 
Lutheran grade school um, in the middle of the city, and my parents were very like intentional. We've got to put Ryan in the best school possible, and he's got to be different, and his story's got to be different, all that. And I'm thankful for their intentionality to put me in the best education, but I think that measured up against some of the fear of me making the wrong decisions created a pretty strict household, which I don't know, inevitably just kind of makes it a young guy want to just rebel against it really in the end. But um, I remember kind of going up north side and some of my favorite things to do is just walking around playing basketball like all day long at the park. Get up eight o'clock, hit the courts by nine go back home by 10 You played that much basketball? I, would, I expect you'd have a little bit better of a jumper. Hey, <laughs> you got a lot of defense. I've, play, I've played with you before. And okay, now, all right. Be nice. I'm just saying. Be nice. Oh, man. I got you, stories I can tell. <laughs> oh, but, all right, sorry. We'll, we'll, we'll stay focused. Yeah, we'll stay. I don't, I don't want to talk about that time. And home. that's your job is I, to keep us focused. I, okay, I will. Listen, I will keep you guys focused. I don't want to talk about that charge you took on Oni that one time, Josh. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. I did I not. Uh, oh, no. man. I, uh, so I grew up, you know, Again, just kind of rolling around the city. Um, North Minneapolis definitely notoriously gets a bad rap. Um, and there's some parts of town that I think are fairly dangerous. But ultimately, it's one of those things where if you are wise wherever you are, you'll be just fine. But I do remember some specific like stories that kind of represented a lot of what the time was like there. I remember a buddy of mine, uh, his name was Marley. We were walking to the park, uh, North Commons, right across the street from North High School. And uh, probably like, 14 years old, uh, walking to the park, this guy pulls a gun out on both of us. Um, and I knew his younger brother, this guy. And so, I, and his younger brother was there. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, I can't say we're friends, but I know this guy well enough to know he's not gonna, like, he doesn't hate me. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I think I'm probably gonna be fine. And then he, like, pulls a, the slide back on the gun. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're done. I look at Marley, yeah. it was like my best friend. I'm like, bro, it's been a good run, you know? And he lets us just go. And we end up playing ball, literally just wanting to scare us. Um, I think that we moved from North Minneapolis back to South Minneapolis when I was 18. Um, I came home from a grad party for a friend and hear like 18 gunshots ring out and somebody with some like automatic gun of some sort had shot up a house like about a half a block away from where we lived. And my mom was like, that's it. We're done. Packed up. Moved back to mm -hmm. Southside. Um, and that was kind of my like adolescent experience growing up, kind of seeing some of those scenarios and situations. But still, it's it, I hate when things get this bad rap where they treat it like that's yeah. all there is. Yeah. Because there was some of the beautiful memories. Again, I lived at that park basically, played sports all the time, that whole kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say that would be the best way I could describe my my upbringing. Having a like literally private school education, parents trying to teach me to like learn better, be better, all of that measured up against being in an environment where people were fighting to survive, maybe didn't have the opportunities or the education that I had. Um, and so their outcomes and their options are a little bit more limited. I don't know if I actually explained. Yeah. Ryan's black, Angela's white. Yes. I feel like that's that needs to be, sure. I forget that people can't see us sometimes. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I mean, you probably all know Ryan and Angela anyways already because everybody knows oh, Ryan and Angela, everybody loves Ryan and Angela. True. But I didn't want to say that. So mm -hmm. let's contrast mm -hmm. Ryan, the way he grew up. Yep. Yours was very different. Very different. Not just because you're white sure. and he was black. And it seems maybe a little cliche that he grew up mm -hmm. in North Minneapolis yeah. and saw all this stuff. And then we have Angela yeah. who is very different. But let's talk yes. about the way you grew up and then... Um, meeting this young black man yes. and when romance started to fly. He left out beautiful young black man. He is a beautiful young mm -hmm. black 
Um, yeah, so um, a little bit about myself. Um, my upbringing was very different, Josh, you referenced that, um, than Ryan's. He kind of referenced this earlier where he um, grew up in a neighborhood that had multiple cultures represented. Um, my upbringing was I was raised in a small town, Cambridge, Minnesota, with a population of maybe under, it's like under a thousand. Um, you know, we didn't have enough students in our school system to have our own school, so we had to partner schools with our next door <laughs> town, and we were Cambridge Isani. <laughs> That's the level we were on, so we're a small town. Um, have, you know, for sure, uh, predominantly white community, very much conservative. I have also come from like what people would consider a bigger family. There's six of us, and you know, um, my parents weren't like super well off, so my siblings and I um, would like share rooms. We were all very close. We shared clothes. We shared everything. It wasn't really ever an option to have your own anything, your own space. Goodness sakes, like honestly. Um, but you know, my family has always been a strong family household. Really invested a lot in our relationships and. I would consider my family members really close to me. And so we just, that's kind of my background is just small town, big family, strong family household um, with both parents married still, but limited view beyond the small town, you yeah. know? Um, and I was one of those people who, once I was out of high school, I was like, I need to get out of here. You, you, yeah. you have one or the other in a small yep. town. It's like either you, you stay forever, you stay or, forever yeah. right? Or And you're like, I will raise my family and they will raise their family here. Yeah. Like that yeah. mindset. Or you're like, I need to get out of here. Like I can't yeah. do this anymore. And I definitely was on the, I need to get out of here. So um, you know, after graduating high school, um, I ended up, you know, feeling my heart tugged towards ministry and I started pursuing an internship, which brought me to Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, much more diverse environment, that's for sure. And, um, started going to church at Living Word and that's where I met Ryan, became a really good friend of mine, one of my best guy friends, started working together. Actually, Ryan and I and Josh like worked together and <laughs> yeah. spent a lot of time together. Shout out to Jeff Burquist. Jeff Burquist, goodness yeah, sakes, sure. legend. So, um, you know, but I would say like prior to moving to Brooklyn Park, I had very limited um, experience, knowledge, or even cl like rem a remote idea of what it was like to live in America and be a person of color. And um, yeah, end up falling in love with this beautiful black man. Beautiful. Right. Make sure we all get I need that. to make I mean, sure that's clear. Right now, yes. If <laughs> you, you could, sure. he would be a You take anything <laughs> from this podcast from when we're done today. It's that Ryan <laughs> is a beautiful black man. So right. I agree. And right. Ryan just, you know, being one of my closest friends, he, he and I would have real and honest conversations a lot about um, what it's like to be a black man in America and his family's upbringing and just kind of um, a lot of the story that he just shared with you. And truthfully, that was probably my first experience being close to, or I couldn't even tell, I couldn't even, I honestly don't even feel comfortable using the term close to the idea of being black in America um, because yeah. I don't even I can't say that um, but that was my first time getting as close to it as I did at that moment you know yeah 
Um, that's the first person of... I met from Cambridge too. So. Yeah. So <laughs> hey, hey, it works. There we go. So let, can I, we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. This isn't like a how you met and fell in love thing. Yeah. But I do want to because I grew up in a mixed family. Obviously, my mom's black, my dad's mm-hmm. white, um, and so interracial relationships have always been something I think is cool. I always mm-hmm. root for. I'm always a fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, it really wasn't until college that I found a lot. I was kind of surprised at how many people were like against it and I went to a Christian college too but I remember I had a um, I was in a broadcasting class right because video journalism was my degree and um, we had we had one class where we were supposed to bring in somebody to interview them it was just mm-hmm. on interview or whatever and there was a black girl in my class who brought in one of her friends another black girl and literally the whole like 20 minute interview mm-hmm. was about how wrong interracial dating was mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, like, awkwardly, like, <laughs> do they know that I'm half black? Yeah, or, yeah, like, wow. I was like, this is weird. Like, it was really weird. Yeah. So there's a whole thing to that, right? Mm-hmm. So I've out, like, I didn't even realize that it was still an issue at yeah. that point. So bring it back to you guys, mm-hmm. why I'm talking about this is one of the things that they say is, like, they think that it's so different, that black people and white people can be so different. Like, how, how could you make a marriage work? culturally mm-hmm. uh last week i just had twende on mm-hmm. you guys know twende she yep, married absolutely. derek yep. they have completely different cultures because not yes. it's not about her being black she's french, french. right mm-hmm. so she's from a different yep. country yep. you guys actually do have different cultures and upbringings yep. mm-hmm. so maybe was there some a lot of conversations early on in the relationship or being from a small town bringing a black guy home mm-hmm. like what what was that kind of like at least early on mm-hmm. and have like did families were they very accepting right away mm-hmm. um and not just your immediate families but you know extended families or yeah. or neighbors or, like did you guys experience through that or mm-hmm. had to go through that or have those conversations for me i think in any culture and in really any relationship um there are dynamics out there that are bigger than like you you know what i mean and so i might have my own perspective my own upbringing my own filter but my filter is different than my parents. You know, my upbringing is different than um, their parents, like that whole piece. Um, and so because of it, I think you can see some differences. So I can remember a few dynamics, but one of the things that stood out to me about Angela was, and this is before I had even considered her in, in any type of a dating way. Again, we had kind of a friendship as a core to our relationship, but I saw her ability to be loving with anybody. And I think there are certain like traits and qualities in a human that can cut through any type of, uh, I don't know, separation, cultural division, any of that stuff. Um, simply literally being a genuine person, being loving, it, it cuts through a lot. And so I knew Angie's hard enough to know like this isn't gonna be a factor for me. And even like an example I'll give, I had a family member just who had a just their, their own specific background. Um, and I think I don't know enough of the story, but I know um, enough to say that I think there was a little bit of a resistance to white people based off of their upbringing. Yeah. And my mom had kind of prepped me about this, this relationship. And so I'm thinking like, oh, man, I've got to bring Ange into these dynamics. This is going to be interesting. I'm super nervous. And so um, I see this standoffishness from this family member of mine. And I just see Ange not even realize it's happening. Like, yeah. literally is oblivious to this person being kind of separate. And Ange just walks in, oh, my gosh, just so happy just to be here, whatever. Yeah, 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 just being being her. Um, and I kid you not, it was about 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. 
um, the walls were just down and it was a close like relationship. I see this embracing hug when we leave, everyone's yeah. having a good time. And things like that were assuring to me of like knowing Angela's like the right person for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so I do think that, again, I can relate to and even speak to some of those dynamics, but it's one of those things where even though there are things outside of my control, I'm really only responsible to me. And so the best thing that I can do is be the best example of like the love that I know is real. Um, and we've weathered any of those like storms, you know, and even with those differences, I think what's unified us is like the qualities of our heart. And I don't know anybody more loving. I don't know anyone who respects me more, who's more on my side. Um, and it's that's one of those things that's deeper than skin tone. You know what yeah, I mean? Angela sure. is the most loving person, bar none. All colors included, all yeah. people included. She is like my best friend and she's got my back. And so we've been able to weather whatever. So I'd say, yeah, yeah the, the dynamics exist, but they I really don't find myself afraid of them anymore because I've seen the like fruit on the other side. Yeah. Angela, you want to follow that? Yeah, again? I, I will do my best. On that? Um, my family, um, you know, I had mentioned this earlier, but like our the town I grew up in, there was not a lot of families of color, and yeah. so, you know, when I was bringing Ryan home to meet my family, I was prepping him on many dynamics, yeah. like. <laughs> You know, I have a really loud Italian family yeah. and they're pretty straightforward. And I was just like, you know, I needed to warn him about that. For sure. I did let my family know about Ryan prior to bringing him home. And um, I also let them know just, you know, he's black. Yeah. And um, just because I I think it would have been fine if he if I would have explained that and he showed up. My yeah. family is very accepting and has accepted just many people, including their story, including their baggage for a long time. Yeah. Um, but also Ryan, he had his own reputation with my family because my family had met him through church and, mm. um, the family members that had met him before were like, oh my gosh, I love Ryan. He's awesome. You know, which was, uh, you know, a help too. Cause yeah. I'm like, you know, they already, you know, everyone's vouching for him. Mm -hmm. He's it's Shout out to Carlin, Micah. Yes. Yeah. They had our backs. Austin. Everybody. So, um, <laughs> you know, truthfully, um, especially my immediate family. I didn't have a lot of conversations with my extended family, but um, everybody, to my knowledge, has been accepting and mm -hmm. willing to have honest conversations too. They'll have questions they think differently than me. Absolutely. Um, and they're pretty honest about it. And we have conversations. Um, and yeah, but that was kind of my experience bringing Ryan into my life. Were you nervous at all to bring him home? I was, but not but just specifically because Ryan was actually the first person I'd ever dated in okay. my life. Okay. And that was what was done. most scary <laughs> I mean, to me. When you find someone like Ryan, there's no reason to, to keep looking for 100%, yeah. Josh. I couldn't agree more. And so that uh, there are so many dynamics to me feeling nervous. Um, yeah. But I did feel that I should let them know that he's black. And, yeah. and honestly, even... Um, just, you weren't a little tempted, like, just for fun, just to see their reaction to, like, not know he's and then... Because I think I'd be tempted a little bit. Like, just, yeah. I honestly, my, I, I don't know. I kind of, I didn't, to be honest, like, I knew I wanted to let them know and give him a heads up because I didn't want his experience, like, them to be mm. shocked or something when he walked through the door. And no, then that's... He, you know what I mean? That's and then good. he has a bad experience. You know, that was kind of more so for the reason for my heads yeah. up. Um, because I knew my family was accepting and just were just anybody like is welcome in my home, you know. Yeah. My my family had that perspective. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah. For sure. I wasn't too nervous about whether they would be accepting or not, you know. It was more so because I really wanted Ryan's experience to go well, and I had concerns about my family yeah. <laughs> in many ways, but I just, like... Race wasn't one of them. Not necessarily. No. Meeting somebody's family, bringing someone for home real? to your family. Can, everybody, we all got crazy like, family, honestly. right? Like, that's, yeah. That yeah. for sure is a big deal. If that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um... Okay, I do want to, just out of respect for your time, I want to keep moving yeah. and get into some specific stuff back after the, the death of George Floyd. And I don't know, it was a little while after before you guys came to Northwest, yeah. uh, another Living Word campus, the one that uh, Joss and I go to. Some of the things that I, I really love that you guys said that that really was like, I, I want to get this out. I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not probably get more people that saw Northwest than will listen to my podcast. But I was like, this stuff is great. I want to share this with as many people mm-hmm. as possible. For sure. Um, and hearing that that human perspective. And one of the things that really stood out to me mm-hmm. was you talked about after the death of George Floyd, mm-hmm. because you were married to Ryan and loved Ryan so much, and not just Ryan, but, um, you know, Thomas, mm-hmm. Savon, when he was mm-hmm. with us, like you, you had, you could see them in the death of George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was much more personal, and that's one of the things that um, when we when we don't have those relationships, mm-hmm. it can be like them over there, mm-hmm. not just black people, but yep. but white people or or police officers or whoever. Right. Like right. when you know them and you can see yeah. them in that, mm-hmm. the empathy is there, and and mm-hmm. you really can feel that more and and really have that perspective. Yep. And then you talked about Ryan bringing Angela into that, mm-hmm. like the 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 struggle right yep. of being a black man in America, and now when you're married, you share everything, mm-hmm. right? And so now your struggle becomes her struggle, mm-hmm. and you almost apologized for like, I felt like I brought her into this. Yeah. So can you guys talk about that dynamic mm-hmm. of of your relationship in that context mm-hmm. of now you really experience mm-hmm. that struggle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. You know, for me, I um, just have had the privilege of knowing some incredible black men in my life, and some of they've made a great impact on me. They're my close friends, my husband, um, my family. And so being close to those people when something goes down, like the murder of George Floyd, and you watch the response of what that means what that message of police officers taking the life of a black man details aside really like the message that that communicates to and truthfully in that moment I was with my husband when we had that when we got the news and just watching my husband respond to that it was it was like I saw him see himself in that moment and having conversations with um, some of my close friends who um, are black men, they felt that same way. And it's deeply moving. Um, and as horrible as it is to say this, it's like I, ho- I wish that um, some of my white friends, my family, could have seen that. As horrible as that is to say, because I don't think that people would be so strong to comment against yeah. some of the stances that people take um, if they were to really see what goes down, really. And, you know, for Ryan, I my 
like life I have chosen to marry him I have chosen to live my life I will be with this man forever like that is that is where I'm at that's the decision I made and the way that the Bible describes marriage is we become one and what it's like who he is is also who I am who I am is also who he is and Mm so the moment that Ryan is carrying this weight is the moment that I'm like I want to get as close as I possibly can to that weight so that I can help lift this. And I also have to come to terms with the fact that my children will also carry this weight. And those, my husband and my children are the most important thing to me in my whole life. They are my world. And if they're carrying a weight that I can't, you know what I mean? That just crushes me. So my perspective is I'm, I know I will never be able to say I understand. I will never, I have a black husband, I will have black children, and I will never be able to say, I understand. And I know that, but my heart is, I want to get as close as I possibly can to understanding so that I can lift the weight with them. Because my heart, I do not want anybody to carry this weight on their own, I cannot imagine. Um, My part is gonna look very different, being a white woman, but I will get as close as I possibly can. That's just like this, the determination that I have because of the people that I love, because of my future, for the sake of the life of my husband, for the sake of the life of my children, I have to get as close as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, Just for the sake of saying, I'm here, I'm with you. Um, I want to carry this with you as best I can um, because it's heavy. Oh my gosh, heavy, heavy stuff. So you know what I mean? Does that that answer your question? Yeah, no, that was so good. I mean, that was, now I hate the way that I worded the question because I sounded like... What you said was perfect. I mean, Good. that was, and that's, that's a lot of the conversations that, that me and Jocelyn have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of that conversation was honestly, your name was brought up in the original when we t- first talked about George Floyd. Yeah. And we have become, and obviously I'm black, uh, I'm emotional, whatever, but I'm, we've had this conversation too. I'm not as black, right? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty light. I'm very light skinned because I'm mixed, but, mm-hmm. but talking to Jocelyn about Mm -hmm. seeing people you care about because I think that's where a lot of this and I'm not even just talking about white people that don't have the empathy for black people but any of us any any one of us that that don't have enough empathy for real people is they're not close enough to it Mm -hmm. and I love Mm -hmm. what you said about getting close and you want to get as close as you possibly can and so many of us so many and I'll say us as a general term all of us we don't get close enough mm, that's good, because yeah. we don't feel their burdens. Mm. Like we should all mm. be able to get close enough. If you, if you if you don't look at racism as a problem to whatever extent you want to look at it, then you're probably not close enough mm-hmm. to somebody who who deals mm-hmm. with that burden mm-hmm. on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just love what you said there. That was now, Ryan. It's your turn to try to follow yeah, what Angela yeah, said. But can we just end it? I mean, um, <laughs> I no, don't. because I know you guys have so much more good stuff to say. And this is why I wanted you guys yeah. on here so bad. Forget how much I love you guys as people. What you guys have to share is powerful, and I want to share Thank it with you. as many people as I possibly can. Thank I hear you, that, man. It's an Thank honor. You. First off, like I, I already know this, but I'm gonna just say this before all of America and all of mixed in America. Like I got the best wife in the world and I'm just <laughs> very thankful. But uh, something that kind of stood out to me in the, the whole thing, cause uh, with my like, 
for me, growing up in my thought process and approach, looking at a lot of the stuff going on, one narrative that is frustrating for me and I hope I don't ever misrepresent is this like quote unquote victim mentality thing. Um, Because you look at each of any of these scenarios and you isolate them and there's all these different factors you can add in like counterfeit bills and um, all this, all these different variables that we want to add in um, to me the reality is you look at how many different things have happened over the course of history. And I think what I've seen created is an, uh, an experience where you see a lot of anger, you see a lot of fear, you see a lot of pain. And this is something that uh, I think we might, I don't know if we were gonna jump into this, but I'm going here. When I look at racism in and of itself, because yeah. um, if I think about my heart to try to counteract it, what could I do to, to solve it? What's the, the magic you know, solution or whatever? Um, when I really think about racism, as I've come to understand and explore this, I see racism in three very specific areas. And I say this because if we try to lump everything together as one thing, what are we really fighting? Um, and I say that also because I see a lot of people trying to disprove the reality of racism. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. And I'll get into that in a second here. But for me, um, I think that racism looks three. It looks uh, one of three ways. One, there is ignorance-based racism. Somebody simply saying something stupid that is culturally insensitive, not realizing the people that they're offending, right? That does not mean they have an evil intent. That doesn't mean that they're trying to wipe out a culture. It doesn't mean, it doesn't have to mean a lot of things, but it does mean that there's a lack of education. Um, If people are so defensive and say, I'm not racist, um, that they're not willing to acknowledge the cultural insensitivity, they will continue to live in that ignorance. Yeah. So it takes a willingness to be open to explore um, and look for truth. And on the other side of that, if you come out feeling that much more confident that, that, that your heart is free and clear, move on you know, and live in that peace. I think the, uh, another example, uh, number two, would be fear-based racism. And this is the one that I think has been plaguing our community truly um, in the yeah. modern day time. Um, it is people that because of a lack of understanding or engagement or empathy or any of a number of reasons, you see people afraid of each other. The example I usually use with that is you look at the Philando Castile murder, and if you've seen the footage of that murder, what I hear in that cop's voice, I hear his voice trembling. Um, I hear what I believe is him realizing he made a mistake, whether he's acknowledged that or not. That's what I feel like I see looking at the emotional response. Um, why was he afraid of Philando? I don't know. Is it okay? Is it right? I don't think so. No. Should he yeah. be here? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but based off of this fear, this lack of engagement and connection, you see um, people make decisions that change other people's lives. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And a friend of mine made a good point of it's a hard occupation to to, to occupy, and I, can, I can't even imagine what it's like, but it's a dangerous op- occupation to be in afraid. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it's just the, oh, yeah. the reality of it. It's not fair for me to say. I'm not a cop, but, um, you know, we've got to be able to figure out what it looks like to navigate that fear. Um, and then the third, uh, the one that I think gets the most attention, and sometimes I wonder, if, is it the most common? But the third is that evil intent, a hatred. Yeah. A, a decision that uh, we would be better off if this people group or them or those or the they didn't exist, yeah. right? But when I think that's the one that we think is racism and we've labeled racism. So if somebody accuses somebody else of racism, they have to defend themselves against the idea of hatred because yeah. 
challenges their morality or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's in experiencing and understanding those three separate things that I yes. look at what yes. is my response to those three separate things. If it's ignorance, I want to just with kindness and love, just make somebody aware, hey, man, you know, this really just isn't smooth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, nobody says blacks anymore. I don't know why that just is a, like just the first yeah. one that comes to my mind. You know, the difference between whites and blacks. I just, I don't know. Yeah. That, typically that just comes off. It just sounds kind of old school and archaic and a little offensive. I don't know why, but it just my tip. Or the difference between saying like people of color versus uh-huh. colored people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. amazing Thank how, you. how different yeah. that Absolutely. sounds. People Absolutely. of color sounds super respectful. Uh-huh. Colored people, uh-huh. that's not it. No. Yeah. I no, agree. nobody's saying that anymore. Right. Um, nobody's saying Negro anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's not like, and that's, culturally that's changed like six times between now and 19 whenever. Yeah. So who makes the rules? I don't know. But if you have a heart for empathy, you learn and you just adapt mm-hmm. and you're willing mm-hmm. to present and be your best self because your heart's And like that's, that's a big thing like that, that, that ignorance one how how everybody responds to that yeah the the two people in that situation is huge mm-hmm. because if if i say something offensive and you correct me yeah lovingly and yeah. say hey i know you're not racist but that was offensive yeah then my response should be anything it should not be defensive about oh i'm not racist what i got a black friend right yeah. like that's the yeah. response mm-hmm. yeah. your response should be oh i'm sorry i didn't know mm-hmm. yes. i'll try to do better next time yeah, yeah. So like it takes both of those people in that conversation, yep. and I and I think that the three types of racism, yep. I, the way you laid that out, I think is perfect. And I I should have said this before. I didn't know he was going to go into this yet. I thought he was going to get to this later. <laughs> so I apologize. You should have been taking notes because what he said. So go back and listen. You can rewind, rewind. Like a, how old am I? Right? VHS. <laughs> you can rewind. You can go back and yeah. you can listen to what he said and take notes because. The, those three types of racism and getting those confused yep. is, I think, a big problem right, because yep. somebody says something offensive and yep. I respond and I and I rec- if I recognize, let's say I recognize it's the ignorance, mm-hmm. and I res- and I say that then mm-hmm. then they hear, oh, I'm not evil hatred racism, mm-hmm. and it's like we're talking about two different things right, right. now mm-hmm. because you can say something offensive. You can say something racist and not be a racist, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. what you said, because you sure. didn't understand. Yeah. And, and you talk about the, the fear versus the hatred. When you look at the two uh, police shootings that we had in our community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Philando Castile yeah. and, and George Floyd. Yeah. When you watch the videos, you do see that fear yes. in the cop that killed Castile. Mm-hmm. And you see whether it's racially motivated or whatever, you see that that dehumanization yes. Yes. of George Floyd, yes. right? Where he's he's when he's kneeling on him, his again whether it's black or whatever, I don't know his intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sure looks racially motivated to me, but yeah. I don't know. I hear. It. But he, you can see in his face, yep. I'm better than you. Yep. Mm. I whether it's because I'm a cop or because I'm white or whatever it is, yeah. that dehumanization, yep. right? And so I, that's just so different yeah. from that fear base. Yeah. And I think in order to under, in order to treat the problem, you have to understand. Yeah. Let's, let's use COVID as the example, right? We, we have to, early on, we we're trying to figure out what is COVID. We didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how it worked. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. But once they started, like, these are the symptoms of COVID, yeah. then I can say, okay, this, then I might actually have it. And now how do I treat it, right? How do I get tested? How do I treat it? Yeah. 
But when you don't know what the symptoms are, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but early on when COVID started spreading, every time I had a scratch in my throat, I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, do I got COVID? Mm-hmm. Do I have yeah. COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to know those symptoms mm-hmm. to treat the right problem. Yeah. Very true. So I just, I love That's what good. you just said there. Yeah. Like, yeah. again, and take notes that. And speaking to that, you know, because I think about the, uh, yeah, the George Floyd uh, murder, for example, because the, the reality is I can't prove it was racism. I don't have some premeditated letter. I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you see a dehumanization, which looks like really, I can't put any other word to it, but just an evil intent. Yeah. Um, something bad. You're getting a warning that something bad could happen and a disregard for that warning. Um, that reality causes the mind mm-hmm. to roll and try to grasp and say, what is this then? Yeah. Why is that intention um, directed at this person, right? And so again, without being able to prove it, the reality is it still leaves a fear mm-hmm. in the, the, the hearts of those who have to then live on and right. think this could happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where I get this concern of if I'm driving um, down the road and I'm getting pulled over, um, am I putting my wife in a negative space? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, there's a firearm involved with the Philando Castile shooting. I have a concealed carry permit. You know what I'm saying? That that response, I, I'm yet to meet a black man um, who doesn't have some game plan of what they're going to do when they get pulled over. Yeah, for and sure. have the rehearsed where your hand's going to go. Yeah. How are you going to respond? And for me, if you don't have one, here's my tip to you. Get it is. Now. It is a game of Simon Says where you are like the most idiot person on the way. Hey, license registration, please. Okay, sir, my my wallet is in my left rear pocket. I'm going to use my left hand to reach and grab that wallet. Yeah. Is that okay with you? And, yeah. and if he doesn't acknowledge everything that I've said, I'm not moving at all. You know, okay, it's okay. You can grab your wallet. All right, I'm grabbing my wallet. It's like Simon says, and I'm expecting to lose. Like, that's the reality. You are following every instruction to the T. And that fear, that response to the different things that we've seen happen is just a natural reality. And the pressure that comes with that is um, it's ridiculous. You could call it unfair, whatever. But what I'm here for is, at the end of the day, what does it look like for me to be able to go home with my wife or go home to my wife? Um, at the end of the day, what does it look like for me to navigate? I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if it's evil intention. I don't know if it's hatred. Um, I don't know if it's ignorance. But what can I do to push through this? You know what I'm saying? Because what softened my heart is I've seen a love specifically in um, and the way my wife has lived that can cut through any division that I've seen. And that inspires me to see what does it look like for me to carry myself. So I have friends who are police officers that I have the utmost respect for, and I don't lump the whole situation into one thing. Um, In the same way that some racism might look like fear, some of it might look like ignorance, some of it might look like evil intention, um, not every person is, not every cop is this way, not every black person is that way, not every person's afraid. Maybe there's people out there who don't have a game plan for getting pulled over um, by the police. Hey, live your life, you know, I'd encourage you to get one, but you do you, you know? But trying to see through the um, definitions and look at the identity. You know what I'm saying? And if we're getting even close to a close, this is something that I would really like speak to. Your identity is the place that you have to live out of. And for me, my reality is regardless of what I've experienced and seen, I know my value 
I know who I am and I don't have to prove that to anybody. I don't got to play difficult with anyone. I don't got to try to hammer every nail. I don't got to prove everybody wrong. I know who I am. I know that I have value and I have to live that out. And I think when people get back to that and find the serenity in that true identity instead of having to prove or allowing one aspect of themselves to be their definition, I'm bigger than a black man. And that frees me from feeling like I'm a victim to anybody else's anything. I feel that I have the confidence to be able to protect myself and navigate and live this life healthy. I know I have a God who's got my back. I know I've got the mental aptitude to communicate myself well. And I also have the humility to not need to flex on everybody as well. And it's in navigating that balance that I feel I'm able to continue to move forward um, and help other people that are looking to do that same thing. Um, Obviously there's things outside of my control, but the rest of that, I just leave to God. Um, And it's it's been working so far, you know, uh, but it's big on my heart to really push through this whole thing and see a better experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is maybe a little less heavy, but maybe it isn't. Maybe we think of it, we kind of, people come, we all kind of joke about it a little bit, but sure. there's definitely real to it. Um, one thing that I want to talk to you specifically about is this idea of tokenism versus representation. Okay. Right? So you just got promoted. Yep. To, uh, I believe you're the only black person in the director level mm-hmm. at Living Word. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one before, right? Pastor yep. Paul was director level. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be a token, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't want I don't want the job just because I'm black. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like, but there needs to be representation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much you thought about this, mm-hmm. but like that idea of you shouldn't have gotten the job. I don't know, I don't think you did because yep. you're qualified and you're good at it. And I know you can do this, but sure. you shouldn't have got that job just because you were black. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you are black doesn't mean you shouldn't have got the job either. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do think there is value in representation. Mm-hmm. And and if if people don't make uh, diversity or inclusion a priority, it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the church that we go to, uh, our congregation isn't very diverse. The staff is even less diverse mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you probably see that in a lot of churches, corporations where the higher up you go, mm-hmm. the less black people you see. Yep. So it's important that we have representation up there. As shooting videos, mm-hmm. we make sure, at least I make sure, that mm-hmm. we do have good representation in the videos that we make. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I have Kanisha do announcements just because she's black? Mm-hmm. No, she's really good at them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do love the fact that she's a black woman yep. and that we can put her in front of as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I love that. I can say that as, as a half black person, maybe. Mm-hmm. Other people might not like a white person saying that or whatever. Yep. So I said a lot in that, sure. but I think you know what I'm, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts on, on tokenism versus representation? I do. Um, I don't know if, if this is this will surprise you or not, but I don't, I don't see it from the standpoint of an either or. Um, I think that this is, what you're describing is one of the specific things where I think the only true balance you can find comes when you eliminate um, culture. And when I, I don't mean that by saying wipe out culture. I say that by mean um, it can't. It's hard to have that be a part of the conversation. And I know it's counterproductive to the question because you're yeah. asking about um, seeing these different cultures represented. But the point that I would make is. With representation, because one thing I'm definitely not a fan of is the the token understanding. Um, But the thing with representation is, what is it that I'm looking to represent? Um, And the representation, what I'm looking to represent, 
has to be deeper than culture because if it's anything else in my opinion it's not authentic and my the, the example that i would use for myself is i am not looking to represent a culture um i am that culture and so mm. what, the best thing that i can do is live out who i am yeah right i do not want to live in a world that requires cultural percentages for something to be this way or that way or right or wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I do think this is, this is where you get a really deep conversation, um, like uh, kicking open the can here. For me, when it comes to like roles and people at the highest levels or whatever, I want the best guy to get the job. But the reality is there are also experiences that have caused certain cultures to have disadvantages so that they don't necessarily mm-hmm. excel at those jobs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want someone in the name of representation to think that they're evening the scales because they found um, a black person and put them in a spot. Yeah. I want someone that has a heart to see all cultures get a legitimate shake at having yeah. the best outcome and serving the world in the best way. And I want to see that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that to me is the response to navigating representation versus tokenism, in my opinion. It's not about representing diversity. Um, it's representing a heart for people. Yeah. And that heart for people has to be deeper than specific cultures. One, because we'll always leave something out. Because yeah. <laughs> the second we, in our minds, have evened out the yeah. scales for the black experience, you've got so many other people saying, what about me? Yeah. Um, but I think a, a organization that desires to see uh, people be, them best, be their best selves, right? And that's why I love Living Word. I love the spot that I'm at is I legitimately feel and see the trust that I have from the leaders that I work with and the, uh, the people on the teams that I'm like um, charged over. And I see them have a desire to be, them best, be their best selves and really just see the kingdom of God um, in any place that we're occupying for any person that we're occupying. Yeah. And those are the people I want to be around, you know, because the reality is I don't want a church that is in a predominantly one culture area right um i don't want the uh the white church in in iowa um or the black church in africa i don't want either one to feel like they've done diversity wrong because Mm, of the environment that they're in yeah but do they have a value for every human life no matter what um because if they do i want representation of that yeah you know what i'm saying um, versus any example of anything else. So I, I kind of feel like, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I kind of feel like I don't know if I am on board with representation or tokenism. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And it's the thing with words is everybody got their own definitions, but I think right. it's something deeper than deeper than that. For yeah, me. Mm-hmm. for sure. No, I, I appreciate your perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I won't make this any longer than it needs to be, but I want your perspective on this too. Mm-hmm. Because when I think diversity, mm-hmm. I think black and white, because mm-hmm. that's my diversity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but being a, a woman in the church right now yeah. is not easy. Mm-hmm. And there are, there's definitely, when, I, when you got your director position, yep. I was super excited because to me, I did see that representation and I, and I thought in that, in that director's meeting, mm-hmm. A perspective of a of a black yeah. person, a person of color needed to be in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, and and the fact that it was you made me even more excited because I know you're not just 
oh, I'm a black guy, so let me give the black perspective. But yeah. but I having conversations with you yeah. and appreciating your perspective for sure. Um, and what you bring to the table was really exciting. It was really exciting for me. Like so, I was happy for that. But then your role at Living Word St. Paul mm-hmm. is is a very high position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, Jamie's the pastor, but we know you run that church. So. You might, I know you won't admit it. I know, well, I'll probably have to get rid of that because we don't want Angela to get... We all work at Living Word, so we don't we want to do. get anybody in trouble. But, We're good too. But your reaction, I guess, to... And I and I use the word that Ryan didn't like, tokenism versus representation. Yeah. But that idea of being a, quite honestly, a powerful woman, mm-hmm. specifically a powerful woman in the church. Yeah. Do you see that, like, you don't have your job because you're a woman and they were trying to we want a yeah. woman in power it was no Angela can do this yeah. that's why she has this job yeah. um, so maybe your your perspective on um, what I'll say tokenism versus representation mm-hmm. as a woman in yeah. the church yeah. and don't say anything that's going to get any of us fired please. yes I will do my best <laughs> <laughs> well I um, that's such a good question and thank you for like thinking to ask me that Sorry, I didn't give you a heads up. So you no, think about your love, love, now. love that. Um, well, first of all, one thing I was going to say, too, because I know you were talking about Jamie and then me and that I run the church, which thank you. I, I, I appreciate your heart behind it. And I truthfully, I think the way that it works is that we both have a deep respect for our roles. And I think that's an important way to play the game. Yeah. Because that's the thing is there's a role that I offer to our team that is incredibly important and same with him he has a role that he offers to our team and to our church and to our goals and core values and our mission as a church and it's like we have to approach each other that way if we really want to accomplish the goals and the core values and the missions of our church if we really want to accomplish it we have to be very honest with what with what we are not gifted to do versus what we are and if we think that we can do everything because we are the face of the ministry or we're the the you know what i mean we're yeah. the the head of something i don't know um yeah obviously you said that way is, better than what i said it is and like that, that's the right answer that no, was, I'm pretty, no i'm just saying that was really good and I, that's going to go into what i have to say yeah. to answer your question is um that i i get represented well and and I appreciate it, one, because I work really hard and I do quality work and I yeah. am confident Absolutely. to say that because, oh, yeah. and I think that that's why I've been promoted um, because that is represented. I also um, appreciate Jamie, who I am directly under, um, and I do believe my higher level leadership believes this in me too, but has this value of me beyond even what my role is at my church and um and he pushes me forward and there's something about and ryan does this for me all the time there's something about honestly it's like when we talk about feminism there's something about a male that really believes in and pushes forward the gifts in another in a female like there's something about that that is so empowering um and i have the opportunity to be in that environment and um i believe that jamie and he plays his role better because of it and i certainly play my role better and um that's why i say it's a team effort is because i think he would come in here and say that to you angela runs a church like i think he would say that because operationally i do and he is aware of my giftings and that and he pushes that forward because if he doesn't 
are we going to accomplish the goals? If I don't push his role and, and, and acknowledge his role and support his role, then we won't accomplish our goals. And I am all about accomplishing goals. As an executive director, as an executive pastor in charge of operations, I am all about you know accomplishing goals. And if I really am, then I'll support the role that he plays. And so yeah. um, anyway, all that to say with your direct answer is um, that's my experience because I work directly with him and I work directly with our team and I, and, and I get respected on all those levels and I really appreciate our team. And for me, that's where I want to see promotion. I want to see representation. I want to see representation of somebody that busted and does a good job and like please represent female leadership in the church please represent yeah. well by knowing who you are knowing where your value comes like ryan said and then also knowing that you are incredibly gifted at this now go crush it please yeah. and rep yeah. rep please like represent well like don't just go accept a speaking opportunity because you're a female like take that speaking opportunity seriously yeah. study for as long as you need to rehearse that song, as long as you need to like work hard and represent well, because that is where you will really represent. Like, is you understand who you are and you understand your role and you make it so that it's hard to not see it. Wow, yeah. I, it's hard to not see Angela in her role because she busts it or because yeah. whatever. Like, like that's where. I would like to see promotion from that place. I'd like to see representation of that place. Um, and the token part is like, listen, if you're that token, l then please represent well. Like, yeah. please, please. Yeah. Like, for for the for the rest of us, you know, um, kind of a thing. And so, as maybe I don't know if that's shallow to say, but um, that's kind of my perspective. And when you have support where people see your role, they value you, they value your role, they value your giftings, they believe in it, and then they support it. That's when collectively as a whole, you will see your whole team, you'll see your whole organization, whatever, accomplish a lot more, yeah. you know, um, in my opinion, in my very limited opinion. I'm like, so I, no, <laughs> I'm I not even it. 30. I, what do I know? Like, you know? I love both of you guys' perspective on this. Um, and it, it makes me think about it a little bit more, too. So I'm going to probably have to go home and think about this a little bit more. But I love um, what you guys are saying because I think you have these rules mm -hmm. and it's not tokenism and it's not neither of you are like trying to coast in your position or mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm the black. Like you don't identify as the black director. Mm -hmm. Like nobody you would never tell anybody like, yeah, I'm the black director mm -hmm. at Living Word. Mm -hmm. And you would never say like, oh, yeah, I'm the female executive pastor mm -hmm. at Living Word St. Paul. But I think it's so for me personally, and this isn't a question, this is just telling you guys mm -hmm. that I I appreciate you guys a lot, so much. But for me, it did mean something to see you as a director. Mm -hmm. And having a black director that I know is qualified in that position, and I and I don't think I don't think it's intentional, but I do think that there is not enough, and I'm not gonna just call it our church alone. I think the, the the church the American mm -hmm. church is incredibly mm -hmm. too segregated mm -hmm. um, and that's another discussion mm -hmm. for another time mm -hmm. but seeing a black man in in your position was empowering to me it was a big deal to me um, I'll go back to when we we made that uh, the let it shine video mm -hmm. and I in my position I loved the video I thought it was great I got it approved by the people I need to get it approved by mm -hmm. 
but it wasn't until after somebody of color complained or had a comment on it mm -hmm. that I thought, I'm the only minority mm -hmm. that has approved this video. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I brought you in and brought in your perspective, not just because, oh, I need to find a random black guy, but because mm -hmm. I know you and appreciate your perspective and, and you brought a great perspective and helped yeah. me kind of work through this. Yeah. And so having you in a position where you can do more of that, yeah. I think is amazing. And then you as a woman and not just speaking to our church, but hey, let's say it like it is. And if you guys want to, you guys don't have to say anything. So if I get fired, I'll get fired or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, there is not enough women of power in our church. And in the church in America as a whole, mm -hmm. but I will I will call out our employers as well. Mm -hmm. The fact that you are so good at your job mm -hmm. and you're not just like, because you could be Jamie's assistant mm -hmm. and do all of his, mm -hmm. all of the organization and, and those sort of things. But the fact that he gave you or whoever, the church, whoever it was, gave you the title of executive pastor and was like, mm -hmm. no this girl and you you won't admit it you'll share the balance whatever but jamie would say it if he was here mm -hmm. this woman runs this church mm -hmm. like she makes all of this happen like not you have a great team i know jamie does a lot he brings mm -hmm. the the leadership and he mm -hmm. brings the vision but mm -hmm. but the fact that jamie is not afraid to to say that and say mm -hmm. this here is a woman in the mm -hmm. church mm -hmm. that is the executive pastor right. of living word st paul mm -hmm. That's important to me, and I'm just like, and I'm a guy, mm -hmm. right? So I, I can't imagine how important that would be for other women yeah. that might feel overlooked mm -hmm. that the church, not not our church specifically, but the American church has yeah. not done a great job of empowering women. Sure. So I I love seeing that. Thank you. From both of you. Thank so you. I appreciate that. I, I took up way more of your time no, than I, I said I was going that. to. Thank um, you. I love having conversations. I love both of you guys, like, Likewise, deeply, seriously. truly. These are two great people. I've taken enough of your time. I'm not going to take any more, but I do want to give you, either of you, if there's anything yeah. else you want to say mm -hmm. based on this conversation we've had or like mm -hmm. going forward, not that you guys can solve racism or yeah. sexism or anything mm -hmm. like that in, mm -hmm. in two minutes yeah. here, but, but if, if there's anything else you want to say to make sure it gets out, and then I'll let you guys go because yeah. it's, again, longer than it should have been. And I really no I really do appreciate you guys Thank taking you this time for me. Yeah, Absolutely. 100%. The last thing that I would say is just one thing that you said that sparked this for me is, um, I think when it comes to navigating, being an, an advocate or a representative of your culture, um, it's the realization that my culture, it only adds to me. I refuse to mm, let my experiences true. take anything away from me. Mm. And that's what protects my heart from um, the idea of uh, like tokenism versus representation. It's this idea that everything that I've been blessed to do, everything that I've overcome, everything that I've navigated, everything that I've been afraid of, um, at the end of the day, it has empowered me to view life the way that I view it. And it's either giving me more passion, um, it's either caused me to need to pray harder, whatever it's whatever it's allowed me to or pushed me to overcome. Um, it's only to my to my benefit in the long run. And so I'm excited and I'm honored to be able to be an example to someone of a place that they could go or a role that they could fill that maybe they didn't feel qualified to do. Um, and that's where my heart does lean wholeheartedly into being an example of that. Um, I, in my own journey, I found though that I can be distracted by 
trying to prove something yeah. and po uh, as opposed to being an example of and being very transparent and living it out and letting that be the representation. So that's kind of been my journey to be able to uh, hopefully in inspire as opposed to uh, clarify or prove anything, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. I yeah. needed that. So I love what you said because that, that illuminated <laughs> really that for good. me. Right. Yeah. I was going to say that too. I was like, Josh, man, I'm going to stop. I'm going to like take a moment to think about what you said um, because you make some really good points, especially when it comes to the um, tokenism and representation thought and even just um, just honestly what you do I have a respect for that. I was just saying this to Josh before we recorded but like I will take my time to just thank you for what you're doing because I remember having a conversation with Ryan right after George Floyd and I was just thinking to myself there are so many people that just have no idea what just happened yeah. and what it means you know and right away I was feeling my heart to gravitate towards education um, for myself and for um, and my role in education and I do believe actually every person um, has a role in educating themselves and educating the people that they're responsible for um, in this matter and not I don't feel that ownership because I'm married to a black man I feel it ownership because I am a human being mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's good you know, really and I have been given life and I it's a gift that I have been given life and I'm supposed to do something with it. Yeah. And so education was right away where my heart started gravitating towards. And Ryan and I find ourselves in conversations all the time. And I just remember that one of the first things that came to my mind after George Floyd was just that so many people are, are just not aware of what just happened and mm -hmm. what it means for humanity, what it means for America, what it means for the black community, all communities. And um, just kind of taking that responsibility. And um, right away, I saw you take a very similar approach with this podcast, which was educating. And one thing I just deeply respect about you is that you took that approach because this is so important. What you're doing is so important. Taking your time, you are very busy. You help a lot of people do a lot of things, accomplish their visions and whatnot. And then you took time to do this. And I just want to thank you for that. And I see you educate. I see it. I, I appreciate it. I respect it. And in fact, you just served something to Ryan and I that we're going to go home and talk about and think about because you are so right. And um, just want to thank you for what you're doing because I believe that's what it is. It's educating and um, not with like stats and like yeah. right versus left and like, I don't even know, um, but with conversations with people that yes. have experienced yeah. this. And that is the education that's real. And that's needed, and I appreciate what you're doing. So thank you so much for having us on. It's oh, on. man, thank you guys. Uh, I, like I said, these are these two people, since the very beginning, I wanted them on this podcast because of that right there, everything they just said. Uh, fantastic. Thank you for taking yeah. the time. I know you guys are busy. I know you got a lot going on. But I always appreciate uh, you guys taking the time. And thank you for listening. Join me next Monday for Mixing America.